0: You're listening to that Chelsea podcast episode 58, The Beekeeper. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. No Jack this week. He's holidaying in Portugal, but I'm very pleased to be joined by Mr. Daniel Charles at son of Chelsea. Daniel recovered from last night.
1: I can't lie. I had a headache after the game. Like I generally had a headache. um, And I guess that was stress induced. I mean, I was worried I was going to go to bed and have nightmares about throw ins for like the whole evening. Um, I've just about recovered from it. I mean, trying to sort of reflect on an onslaught like that Chelsea have suffered for some time. I mean, I remember maybe a game away at Crystal Palace under Frank. I remember we survived a very late onslaught from Crystal Palace, but just how sustained it was. I mean, it was like we were down to 10 men. I mean, Anthony Taylor was on the pitch. So I was trying to think, you know, had had we had any players sent off, um, but yeah, it was quite incredible, wasn't it? How much Chelsea lost control and how good Brentford were. I, I can't say I'm overly surprised about that. I think we all knew it was going to be a very tricky game. I just think the pressure we were under in that last 20 minutes was kind of a bit ridiculous. And I, and I think tactically, I think Took maybe got it a bit wrong with his subs to try and wrestle back some control because we just didn't have any and we were just basically surviving and gasping for air for that last um, period of the game.
0: Yeah, we will get into that shortly as always with guests I get them to give themselves a plug and Daniel you know since we last spoke you've now got a, a new gig a writing for Football London so why don't you tell people obviously where they can find you where they can still find you YouTube and now where they can obviously read your articles for Football London which obviously you know I you very kindly often asked me to contribute to one the other week
1: Yeah, thank you for contributing, mate. Obviously, that was uh, one about Jorginho. Yeah, it's been a mental couple of months, to be honest. Um, Yeah, I think the last time we spoke may have been the Champions League final. I think it it might have been after that. So, I mean, that is a very long time ago now in terms of what's happened. Yeah, it's just basically a, a role that came up and... Yeah, it's been an incredible and intense few months. You know, my YouTube channel has kind of had to take a little bit of a backseat as I've adjusted to the new schedule. Basically, my role for Football London uh, is being a writer slash sort of presenter for Carefree Chelsea, which is kind of a new thing that, you know, Football London and obviously there are other clubs involved as well, but specifically Chelsea is trying to get more sort of fan creators and writers on board jay mcintosh obviously you you know him um is involved he kind of does a bit of everything he's not specifically chelsea but obviously having him scott clayton who's obviously carefree youth um on twitter is the editor of carefree chelsea we've got anita Abiomi, who um i'm sure people would have known across youtube and, and stuff like that and she's re- written for the athletic and places like that too so yeah it's been an incredible few months and um obviously now sort of readjusting so i are going to start making videos for my youtube channel again and obviously appearing on great podcasts like this so it's it's been mental but it's been cool to see the support and um quite uh, surreal at times the opportunities you know I've, I've had through this job already
0: yeah daniel's links will be in the description below and make sure you check him out and obviously all the great guys at football london with you know very fortunate to be able to get people like daniel on also people like adam newson on etc to try and provide the best Chelsea content we can right you know you we briefly mentioned at the start you know you were you were recovering from you know you had a headache after the game for a minute I thought had you been spending too much time with Hakim Mm Ziyech but it was it was very very stressful and I think if also if ever the phrase a tale of two halves was was pretty apparent I suppose that was it and we'll start off with the positives that first half and I guess even that first 60 minutes felt while obviously while the attack wasn't clicking and there were a number of occasions where we misplaced forward passes in dangerous positions that felt kind of you know you that first 60 minutes you were pretty happy with that as a performance away from home against Brentford at Brentford side that have caused a lot of teams problems this season you felt pretty happy looking at that first 60 minutes I guess didn't you you know obviously seeing performances of, of Ruben cheap particularly in midfield his driving runs etc Ben Chilwell excellent so you know how pleased with you I guess the first 60 minutes of that game
1: yeah I think given all the preparation and expectation we had about it being a very tricky test and seeing the way Liverpool had struggled to maintain Brentford and sort of control the game the flow of the game um, I think Tuckle tactically got it right in the sense that putting free in midfield kind of trying to stifle Brentford you know really suffocate the the, the balls that could get through to the front too. You know, that's kind of what you wanted to do. And I kind of felt that Chelsea had to do what Man City did to us in a sense. If you remember a couple of weeks back, you know, Lukaku and Werner had absolutely no service. And for about 60 minutes, um, especially Ivan Tony, who kind of latches on, he's kind of the start point of a lot of Brentford attacks, direct balls into him. We really limited and cut off that supply line. And I was really happy about that. And we were really quieting down the Brentford crowd. They couldn't get involved in the game. And I think you were really happy about that. I guess it's just a frustrating thing at 1-0 up is that we were lacking something. You felt like Chelsea could go into another gear. You wanted that second goal. And I don't really blame Tuchel for making at least the first sub he did because Kovacic was on a yellow card. And I think some of his passes were increasingly wayward as the game went on. So you kind of want a little bit more energy. But the issue was, I think, actually taking off Kovacic, meant Chelsea lack something in that central area. And I think Kovacic was retaining the ball, kind of does what he does best in that middle area. And that's kind of the problem that Tuchel has at the moment is that in some areas of the pitch, we are gaining control. But in other areas, in particular in attack, we're still struggling to really connect. And and I think that's where the game really shifted. Um, It's hard to know. I mean, he could have kept Kovacic on. And in worst case scenario, Kovacic, as he has before with Anthony Taylor, gets a dodgy second yellow card and we're down to 10 men but I I do think that the first 60 minutes as as you've said were a sign of Chelsea professionalism given as well we we played some very young players in that back three you know a a back three containing three players under the age of 26 I mean that in a Premier League game that is quite staggering and especially with Malang Saar playing his first Premier League game for Chelsea as well you just kind of felt that Chelsea were kind of going about their business, really doing what they've done on the Tuchel defensively, of just shutting down the team, limiting them to very few opportunities. And it was going to be quite a, an impressive performance, but obviously it very quickly turned and became very stressful.
0: Yeah, Malang, Malang came in for his debut. I guess that was the slight surprise. And, you know, give, given the meltdown we see on Twitter before the game, you'd be, you know, surprised he was a professional footballer, given, uh, given how much people reacted. But his numbers, 10 clearances the most in the game. Six interceptions are most in the game. Three out of four ground jewels won. Three out of three successful tackles. Passing actually of 86.2%. There were obviously a couple of shaky moments, but as Premier League debuts go and the test he had, particularly up against Brian and Buemo, that was quite an encouraging display from him. Not one to, you know, we're going to go get ahead of ourselves and go right. He needs to be playing all the time. He needs to be playing in this team regularly. But I guess, you know, an exa- another exciting and you know example of yeah we've got a player in our squad who if needs be can come in and we can get a result and we can get a job done with him in there
1: absolutely yeah, I, I did kind of think it was a bit of a risk you know given the game I, I this is a guy who's only played one game for Chelsea so far you know and that was obviously Aston Villa in, in the League Cup But, you know, if you were to look at the squad objectively without any sort of doubts and sort of prior history, you would say Malang Saar is really the the only second choice Sokol currently has in a back three system on the left without Antonio Rudiger. So again, I think it's good to see that we've got that depth that he can bring players in. The confidence that Saar will have from that performance now, I think is absolutely massive. Yeah, he did make a couple of mistakes. And I think both him and Chalaberg were sort of drawn into physical battles that they really didn't need to get into, um, conceding fouls. I think both of them, Mbremo and also uh, Tony, I think there were a few times petulant things that I think more experienced players like Rudiger and Dave wouldn't have got into in that game. But I think for both of them, in particular, saw on this occasion, it's it's a sign also, I think, as we've seen before with players, I think when you think about the atmosphere in the dressing room, the atmosphere around Cobham, the fact that, players like Saar and Loftus-Cheek and Barkley, fringe figures who've come into the team so far this season and impressed, I think that's a real positive sign of the atmosphere that Tuckle is creating because I don't think those players in previous years a, would have probably got into the team, but B, if they did, would they have performed to the same level? I think there is probably a belief under Tuckle that these players want to work for him. They want to impress. They want to take their opportunity. And the fact that Tuckle is giving them that, that opportunity in a game of, I'd say this magnitude, because, you know, for me, Premier League is the first priority this season and impress, it's, it, it sets up future, you know, opportunities, you know, I think Tucker will look at that and go, okay, I can trust you now. Maybe easier games, you know, it, there would have been an easier time to throw Sar in, you know, you could have thrown him in against Malmbo. You could have thrown him in at home to Burnley, where maybe Chelsea are likely to dominate that game a lot more and at home. And it's going to be a more casual experience, but he didn't. And I, I think he, he's thrown him into the fire. And he's impressed, you know, compared to like Sal Niguez, for instance, you know, in, in comparison to Premier League debuts, you couldn't get further apart. And, and defensively, I think saw so. being a young player too, I also just want to say, you know, when we signed Malang, so I remember saying at the time on my channel, it kind of is a no-risk signing. You know, we signed him basically nothing, I think, from Nice, wasn't it? And either he becomes a first-team player, you know, being a free signing and we benefit off him, or we sell him for a profit. You know, so it kind of is one of those rare low-risk signings, and and maybe this is the start of 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 Saar proving that he can be very very valuable to Chelsea, despite us not spending tons on him.
0: Yeah, I guess we on the other side was Trevor Chalibur and while you know you say he was did get perhaps drawn into a couple of things with Tony, and if Tony hadn't been offside, he may well have been given away a penalty. In that second half. But I think while that might have been perhaps Trevor's, one of Trevor's weaker performances for us, ju- just purely because he's performed at such a high level, I think I was again for him, I'd be a pretty impressed big, you know, learning curve, learning, you know, he's learning on the job all the time and learning against Ivan Tony, a top center forward. Uh I thought, you know, while he did get drawn and stuff, he did deal with him fairly well and also, you know, had that crucial goal line clearance as well in that second half, you know, showing his, you know, positional awareness to to help Chelsea get Get a point you know I guess just not but not his necessarily best stay at the office but still you know another encouraging you know display and you know I guess a useful marker for Trev on his development
1: yeah absolutely I, I do have a lot of faith and, and trust in Chalabra I mean I think it says a lot about his development so far that him starting in the team isn't a shock you're kind of like yeah of course he's starting and, and I think it kind of goes into something I'm probably going to write about soon about sort of the the lone path of players and and what what is the best path to develop a player. And, you know, Chalaba's lone sort of journey has not been the most glamorous. You know, Ipswich, Huddersfield, Lorient, you know, three teams that may not strike you as as teams you'd want to send really promising young players, but they've given him so many minutes of competitive football, senior football, he comes into Chelsea and he looks so composed and ready. And it's a bit like Mason and Tammy and for and and Reece, you know, these players who've played a lot of football by the time they reach Chelsea. And yeah, sure. He's still a young defender. He's going to learn these things, but you know, he's still yet to concede an open uh, goal, um, an open play goal um, in a defense for Chelsea so far this season, which I think, you know, says a lot about, his impact in the team. And, you know, I know Tuchel obviously looks at numbers very um, intently. So that's going to be something that he's going to give him more opportunities. And it's just great, isn't it? That after the summer of so many young players leaving, we have a breakthrough. We have someone who's continuing that pathway that Frank Lampard set. I think it, it's so important for the team and, and Chalabar, there's, there's kind of no doubt with me that he's going to be a big player for us at least this season and, he, and he's doing more than any of us could have expected really I think the fact that he's appeared so much um, is probably a sign of Tuchel's faith in him you know because it hasn't always been the case it's been an injury crisis so I have to throw you in there's been times when Tuchel could have opted for a more experienced player in that position maybe not yesterday because of no Rudiger or Silva but He's, on, he's in there on merit and, and you know, you wouldn't be surprised to see him starting again against Malmo and, and Norwich and, you know, the upcoming games as well.
0: Yeah, I guess one player who I think was probably second best player on pitch for us behind Edvard Mendy was goal scorer, Ben Chilwell. He's just, you know, having a really good, good few weeks, isn't he? Like, I thought, aside from, like, a really classy finish and I, whatever moment, I was so pleased it fell to, to, to him and not Kovacic, he was, he was quite nearby him. but Also, a really strong, you know, I thought, defensive display from as well because he had to do Quite a lot of, you know, defensive work as well, because that obviously the left side, well, both sides were targeted due to the inexperience, but he also covered pretty well, you know, some crucial blocks. And, you know, after being out of the team, you know, for a while, obviously, you know, took him, I think perhaps just a victim of circumstances, just, you know, rolling on from last season, but he's come into this team. And aside from, you know, I guess giving away that penalty uh-huh. against Hampton, which he then bounced back really strong. He's had a good international break with England. He's now continued it on against Brentford, you know, an exciting, encouraging signs from him now that he can now get right take that place back from Alonso who to be fair up to now done a relatively good job in his his position
1: yeah my sort of post-match piece was about Chirwell and sort of how quickly things have changed for him in in the space of a couple of weeks Um, being sort of out the team questions about why he was out for so long Um, despite I think Alonso doing a Pretty decent job. You know, I don't think costing Chelsea massively. I still would have preferred to see Chilwell back in a little bit sooner. I think you've just already seen the level Chilwell brings. And that goal, I think, is sort of a proof of Chilwell's really smart movement. You know, he made a run in the first half that we've seen him make consistently for Chelsea, sort of that out to in run around the back of a defence. You know, the, the move that sh- probably should have led to the opening goal for Timo Werner, where, you know, Chilwell makes that run a switch of play. I think maybe from Chalabar, uh, from one of the centre-backs, uh, he knocks it down to, to Lukaku, lays, off, lays the ball off to Timo Werner, and Werner should have hit the target. Um, but, you know, he's constantly in those sort of inverted positions and um, that we saw against Southampton. It's really hard to defend against because chilwell has got such speed, I think such intelligence. And the finish, I mean, I think he scored three or four goals for Chelsea and all of them have been sweet strikes. You know, the, the strike against Southampton was just ridiculous. You know, I just, it really was. And unfortunately, because... Um, McCarthy saved it or at least, you know, tried to save it and it didn't hit the net. I think people don't appreciate how good of a goal that was. I think if that just went straight in the back of the net, it'd be considered one of the best goals so far in the Premier League. Um, But it was such a sweet, sweet, sweet strike. And yeah, I mean, Chirwell is going to be a massive player for for us this season. I think we all knew that. Um, And I think it's a sign of his mentality that he just, he hasn't let, these months of frustration sort of get to him and, and he doesn't look sluggish. He's come back in. And I wrote about how he kind of has a ferocious intensity. He looks like a player that just wants to show Tuchel you've been wrong so far this season. I should have been playing more. And, and that's what Tuckle probably wants. And he's got the reaction he wanted. And, and Chilwell once again, is proving that, you know, 50 million, I, I still think is a bit of a bargain for a player who I think is going to longevity. I think it's going to be massive for us over a number of years.
0: Yeah. I guess another another bright spark. Ruben lost the cheek back to back starts in the Premier League. He has come a long, long way since you know. I remember say I, I reference this quite a lot. Being at Zenit, him getting two minutes off the bench and thinking, oh, this is this this sort of just feels like throwaway I minutes. Mean, almost just to feel like you know keep him happy, keep him sort of feel like he's involved. But he's actually taken his opportunities. And again, you know, up until you know, the last twenty minutes, where basically Ruben was just you know another a, an auxiliary defender basically for us. Up till then, that was, again, I thought a really strong showing from him in midfield. Again, just the way he just drove the ball, like effortlessly, man, winning free kicks all over the place. And, you know, I guess that was one thing that I did quite like about that midfield at the start anyway, was you had Kante, Kovacic and Ruben. I thought there was a lot of energy there and a lot of opportunity, especially, you know, progressing the ball. You would be able to progress ball up pitch. And I guess that I did kind of think that might count, you know, help us, you know, not perhaps need Mason as much. But Ruben loftus sheet, you know, he's, get, he's got his opportunities. He did kind of feel like last chance saloon for him mm. at Chelsea. But boy, oh boy, is he taking him, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of... Um, I kind of had low expectations about Ruben because i would had my heart broken before because uh, I've been a massive Ruben fan. As I know many of us have, you know, it's not a unique thing. I mean, I, I was there for his first ever Chelsea goal against Confort right in the Matthew arden lower uh, back in 2016. And, you know, was there for his, um, I think, Premier League debut against Liverpool. I was there for his first, I think, ever senior appearance against uh, Sporting Lisbon. So it's been a long journey. And I always, especially at Sarri run, which I still think is very much a sliding doors moment. You know, I, I his form during that run was just absolutely incredible. I mean, it was. And I think it's why so many of us have continually sung his praises despite the injury, despite the struggles, is that, In that run, you saw just a a player that could transform Chelsea. You know, I I don't think that's an understatement. You know, what Ruben can do, the skill set that Ruben has within his game is such a unique one. You know, he has the physicality. He has the intelligence to make runs from deep. He he has the technique to go through several challenges. I mean, there's just, in terms of what I'd want from a central midfielder in the modern game, someone as well, he was adding goals too, which hopefully we may see in the coming weeks, he's playing a little bit more of a deeper role. I think he's just an extraordinary talent. I, I really do. And it's it's wonderful, you know, that we could be seeing Ruben finally make it at Chelsea. And maybe, of course, it's not nice and we didn't want it to happen, but maybe th- these are things that happen in, in players, and in people's you know lives, you know, th- their setbacks, you know, but to come through from that has probably made uh, Ruben a stronger character, you know, and hopefully for him, he can remain fit. I was interested to see, Tactically, yeah, at midfield because at the time I think maybe we just assumed it'd be sort of the the five-three-two, but I felt it would be more like sort of a three-one-four-two, which is what Tookle finished the Southampton game with, and Barkley and Mount were kind of playing as two-eights, which I kind of like that system a bit more if Tookle wants to play a free in midfield because I think you need to get further bodies forward. And weirdly, Ruben started as the six. I think he was intended to be the six, but you look at his heat map last night, I think he had about 98 touches. A lot of them came through driving forward. You know, and I think there was a lot of rotation there where Kovacic obviously likes to operate sometimes from a deep area and drive forward. I think Ruben the same can say sort of as well, we know his energy to get forward. So there was a lot of rotation there and I don't think it ever... Was a case that Chelsea looked ex- looked exposed on transition from that sort of rotation, and it was it was good to see. I, I guess the the frustration once again is is the attack. You know, those free midfielders um, weren't qu- kind of instrumental in, in helping the attack click. You know, and and I still think that's something we maybe questions will will lead us into in terms of how we get that attack clicking click a little bit more because we're just not creating a lot of high quality opportunities unfortunately. But yeah, Ruben quite incredible. And um, I just hope it continues. You know, I I wonder Malmo selection is going to be interesting because Ruben has played quite a bit of football recently or, you know, obviously he wasn't on international duty, but I wonder, does he start again against Malmo? You know, he's sort of 50-50 there because you're like, it's a good opportunity against sort of a lower quality opposition to, to really thrive and maybe get a goal, but you want to keep him for the Premier League games at the moment because he is absolutely earning his place. You know, I, I think that everyone can see there's a major talent here and, I read an interesting report from, uh, I think from the Guardian, I can't remember who wrote it last night uh, regarding Ruben and how difficult it is for Chelsea to, with sort of our mentality, short-term mentality will Tuchel have the patience, will Chelsea have the patience to see the Ruben project through. And I just hope that could be the case because Chelsea, like with Mason, like with Reese and like with others saving themselves potentially a lot of money here in a central midfield position. I mean, I really want Chelsea to sign Declan Rice, but when you've got players like Ruben coming through, when you've got players like Billy coming through, it is nice, as we've seen with Chalabar, you can save a lot of money and you can potentially um, develop one of your own. I'm not saying Ruben's the same player as Declan Rice. He isn't, but you've already seen from a deeper position and he played before for Chelsea, he can do a lot of damage in midfield.
0: Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Um, Right, we've got to talk about him. And this is why I'm just going to link him the first question. Fasters aside, where do you rank, Mendy, in terms of best keepers in the world? because, wow, yesterday that was that was incredible from him. He, he won us and saved us three points yesterday. Again, but, you know, previous season, we lose that most likely. So, ever Mendy, just do tell.
1: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of nonsense said about um, the free back system, our defensive sort of um, approach at times undertook or the more cautious approach, meaning that Mendy has a very easy job. I think so far this season, the stats just don't back that up. I mean, he's had four clean sheets, 96.2% save percentage in the Premier League, highest goals prevented in the Premier League, which is about 7.24 via Scouts. So basically like, we should have been conceding seven or eight goals so far this season. And you think back to the Aston Villa game, you made a few key saves, as you've mentioned, kind of games that Chelsea should have lost, you know, or drew last season. And last night, I mean, was just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it, it was... Mendy, I remember before we signed him, I remember reading a, a scout report about him from his time at Wren um, of, of how he was a keeper that regularly outperforms his numbers, you know, the expected goals he was, you know, um, predicted to concede. He just constantly outperformed them. Um, and really, that's what he's done at Chelsea. And unfortunately, I think for the first few months, people, maybe because he didn't make as many world class saves as people would want. Maybe it was the fact that he costs not the most, you know, 22 million. He wasn't a high profile name. Many of us didn't know the name of Edouard Mendy, in all honesty, before we started being linked to him properly. But he is up there. The numbers just prove he is one of the elite keepers in European football. He is performing to an absolutely elite level. He is up there with Edison and Allison because... For Chelsea to win a Premier League title, yes, we needed an elite goal scorer, but you also need an, an elite goalkeeper, which is what we had with Thierry Courtois, who I know it isn't the nicest thing to say anymore, but in the seasons he was at Chelsea when we won Premier League titles, you think about some of the saves he made specifically under Antonio Conte, he made some absolutely ridiculous saves. Petr Cech, obviously for years did it did it for us. You need someone in that goal who is going to bail you out. You know, as good as a defense you can have in front of you, there are going to be times like last night where maybe injuries forced to to rotate and you come up against a really good side who, who are going to put you under pressure. It was just, it, it was like Superman on there. You know, it, it was just, you could feel Mendy's confidence grow for every save. He's just like, I am not going to be beaten tonight. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say other than I just think he's been an astonishing signing. I do wonder in years to come if Edouard Mendy is going to kind of be put in the Dave category of signings. You know, just it's proof once again that Chelsea don't always have to spend 90 million on a player to solve a, a key area of the pitch you know 22 million it's the case of good scouting from Chelsea um, which is why I like to see sometimes because we just always because with the level of club we are we always sign the most obvious players uh, which isn't always the worst thing but I, I quite like the idea of signing players that are a little bit more obscure and the story of Edward Mendy as well is inspirational so it, it's he's a wonderful character he's an amazing goalkeeper and if we are going to win a Premier League title this year we'll put a serious uh, challenge for it Mendy is obviously going to be a amazing Major, major part of that
0: yeah yeah i no, agreed what a top top signing he has been yeah you say yesterday he saved us three points and i don't know this number of saves he made there was a stat before i think the game anyway that there have been a couple of times where have made six saves or more in a Premier League game this season already so yeah he has been he's been pretty pretty immense for us and yeah we are very very lucky for to have him and i'm even more happy now that we did not go for donnarumma in the summer just because we you know edward mendy is is ours and you know we've stuck by him and he's just been yeah superb i'm gonna move into questions uh and this will allow us also to get into romelu lukaku's performance uh but the first question comes in from rj who do you think best compliments rlc in midfield assuming he gets some serious minutes in these next run of fixtures and why obviously we've seen him i guess have two well we saw him yeah Samton, at the start, we saw it was him and Kovacic. Yesterday he was with him, Kovacic and Kante. Uh, So no Jorginho in either of those two. So who do you think, I guess, best complements RLC in the field? And is also, I guess, down to the opponent we play as well.
1: Yeah, that's kind of my instinct because Tukul does change a lot. Um, So to kind of predict what the best midfield is kind of going to be, it's kind of, it's hard for me to predict that at the moment. I guess at times... So say, for instance, he starts against Malmo. I actually do think you'd bring Jorginho in there, you know, someone to really set the tempo, try and calm things down. It's a, it's a game that Chelsea are likely going to dominate in, in the ball. So that, that, that's when you want probably Jorginho on the pitch. But, you know, in games where Chelsea are going to be pressed a little bit higher, you kind of want more energy, then you're probably looking more towards obviously having N'Golo Kante. In the majority of, of big games, you're going to have Kante in midfield because he's a world-class player. Um, I think it's difficult... I, I I, can't really say for certain because I think, as we know, it, it's a team game and it's kind of as well looking how Tuchel solves the problems higher up the pitch. I think before, to, for me to really say, okay, this is the midfield because I think the midfield obviously complements the rest of the team and creating chances and progressing the ball the best. I, I do think Ruben has a great chance of being that. I'm always going to say Kante is going to be one of those players for a majority of games because it's in Golo Kante and you would maybe say out of the other midfielders, obviously Jorginho because he's in the form of his life and he's a very experienced player that Tuchel was relied on consistently. I'd say those two, but, you know, Kovacic is getting a lot of minutes at the moment. And, you know, if, once we get to Lukaku, you know, in, in, I was looking at a stat in terms of the players that have passed the ball to Lukaku the most so far this season and, and seem to be forming a good relationship with him. Kovacic is one of those players. So, He could stay there as well, but we we know Tucker rotates, which is kind of a bit frustrating. So when we have these questions of who best compliments him, I think, I think Jorginho can, I think Kante obviously can, Kovacic can. I think it's dependent on the opponent we face and what we kind of require from that game for me to make a, a firm judgment. But it's good to see out of the players he's played with. I think so far we're just seeing Ruben play well, which is, which is the biggest positive.
0: Yeah, agreed. Second question, what did you make of Lukaku's performance and his supposed exchange with Tukul? Uh I didn't see any, I didn't see said exchange, so I must have missed that. But what did you make of his performance? It's it's quite a hard one to, to really talk. It, you know, he wasn't involved as much as we'd like to be perfectly honest, was he?
1: Yeah, I mean, he had 19 touches, which is the lowest of his Chelsea career so far. You know, if you think about his first game, he had 43 touches against Arsenal, where he was really influential. And it's just, you know, I wrote about this over the international break because I looked at his uh, performance for Belgium, which is so good. And what he's doing for Belgium, the positions he gets into for Belgium. I mean, he's just, there's nothing about Lukaku at the moment that is screaming to me. I think he's doing anything particularly wrong, you know, in the sense that I feel that Lukaku is is massively out of form. The Belgian performance should give you enough evidence that's not the case. We are just not getting the ball to Lukaku. I think Tuchel is getting it wrong at the moment with Lukaku. I think we are limiting his game dramatically in a sense. Positionally, it just looks like he's being asked to be quite a stationary centre-forward, quite just a, a stereotypical target man with his back to goal. But also, I think as we get back to midfield, there are so many times when we have the ball in a central area and Lukaku is asking for the ball to be played early. He's trying it himself is trying maybe out of his own positioning is trying to make runs in behind to, to occupy space and we don't play the ball quickly to him. And it happens so often that I come to the conclusion that it's a, it sounds ridiculous to say your players are forbidden from playing the ball to Lukaku early, but it kind of feels like a tactic, doesn't it? If it keeps on happening and Lukaku is consistently there screaming for the ball, um, but this has kind of been a problem pre-Lukaku. I mean, our midfield not playing the ball quickly enough to our attackers is an issue we had last year. So maybe it's about the the characteristics within that midfield of, of having people in there who were, who were going to be brave enough to hit that pass early. You know, I did say last night. When I was watching the game, with my dad, I was like, you know, I, I do feel like we need a Cesc Fabregas type player, someone who is going to thread that pass, who's going to find that connectivity with a with a forward player. Because unfortunately, I think Mason Mount is that player, but he plays in two a position at the moment as kind of that ten. I think to be that player consistently, and and that's an issue. You know, nineteen touches, of course, touches can kind of be over egged a bit in an analysis. You know, if he has nineteen touches but scores two goals, you know, it's, it's not that much of an issue, but I feel that we're limiting what he does. You know, I think if Tuchel just wanted to stereotypical target man, I think he should have kept Olivier Giroud. And we know Giroud is a good player, but, you know, Lukaku is so much more than just a target man. He can be that guy. If you've watched him for Belgium, if you've watched him for Inter Milan, him running the channels, him dropping deeper and then making runs from deep, him linking up play, him running in behind with his speed. His speed is just ridiculous for a player of his sort of physical build. We're just not getting the best out of him. We aren't. We, we shouldn't have broken our transfer record if you're not going to get the best out of him, and I think that's the biggest issue for Tuchel at the moment because I think if Lukaku had more freedom with his positioning to be able to make runs, say, drift out wide to to the right-hand side where he loves to go or left and maybe create a bit more, I think that will open up space for others too. It just feels at the moment like all of our players being done around Lukaku rather than with him involved. It feels like Lukaku is basically just his role is like we don't pass you the ball until we get into the box. You know, which is a difficult thing to do. You know, I think he needs. To, I think there needs to be a bit more freedom And it. I think it kind of goes to a wider trend under Tuchel, where you feel like at times the handbrake is on a bit too much with our with our game, and, and you think back to the system and the free back, and kind of at times where can we unleash a bit more every now and then? And, and I do think the upcoming games are going to provide with the opportunity against Malmö, against Norwich, against Newcastle, against Burnley to to do a bit more of that because. I think the, the numbers currently attack-wise just generally are not sustainable for the season. They're just not. I mean, we are consistently outperforming kind of our XG, um, which is good because, you know, that's not what we've done in re, re-, re- seasons. It's sort of been the inverse. We've, we've not scored what we should have, and we've conceded more than we, we were expected to. This season, it's the opposite of that. But I just don't think that's going to get the best out of Lukaku and attack-wise Eventually, I think we're going to run out of luck in a sense. So I think Tuchel, that's his biggest issue. And I think first, it's just getting the ball to Lukaku more, getting the, getting him involved in the game. Whether that's a changing system, whether that's just giving Lukaku a free role, because at the moment, it's just not working. He is drifting through games. And that's not why we spent the amount of money on him we did.
0: Yeah, OK. We answered Daniel's second question there. But his first question, what did you make of the Lukaku substitution? It was an interesting one to make. You know, Tuchel's tended not really to, to sub Lukaku off. Um, I kind of got bringing Kai Havertz on, I thought maybe it might just help us be a bit, you know, we've seen Kai, you know, I guess in that full time position, we have been a bit, you know, more fluid, Kai's perhaps been a bit better there, I also thought defensively, Kai is, you know, he's not obviously as big as the Kai, but he's still a pretty tall guy and he helps out defensively, so I did kind of get it, but it just didn't really make any difference at all and didn't really work at Either it kind of probably worked negatively in the end when we were literally just hoofing long balls and we probably wanted Ron on the Pitch to try and hold the ball up. What do you kind of make of the whole Lukaku substitution?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a surprise. Uh, you do wonder if that, I mean, Tukul was reasoning post game, he spoke about fatigue with Lukaku. Um, and you think about why he didn't play Belgium's uh second game in the Nations League. I mean, muscle fatigue, I kind of at the time was a little bit sort of flippant about it, I sort of said that. And sort of assume that, you know, if they got to the final, we would have played that game. It's a third place playoff. You know, it's just, you, it's a game that he doesn't really need to play. Um, but we did hear things in the previous um, international break about sort of muscle fatigue, or at least maybe a problem he with with, I think something maybe with his knee or, or fire. I can't, can't remember what it was, but he, it's, it's intriguing to see what Tuchel does now against Malmo. Because kind of the theory is if he is tired, if he, if he does have fatigue, then surely you'd rest him against Malmo and you feel like you've got, we've got enough in our score to deal with Malmo without Lukaku, but you want Lukaku to start scoring and kind of the solution is to get him on the pitch. So I think what Tuchel does from here is interesting. And I mean, I kind of felt that Jorginho maybe could have been the answer last night at times, just to put his foot on the ball. I think Tuchel could have gone two directions last night. I think he could have gone, which direction he went was just to get more physicality and height into that area. Just go, okay, we're just going to defend. That's what we're going to do. So I'm going to get my bet, my tallest players on the pitch to to head balls out. But unfortunately, I just meant the onslaught didn't, didn't end basically. And I just wondered whether Jorginho could have come on there, got his foot on the ball a little bit more, but maybe the, the pace and intensity of the game just wasn't there for Jorginho, you know, the, he wouldn't have been able to, we could have thrown him on, but he may not have been able to really dictate anything. Um, So it's, it's, I think it's easy in hindsight to say that, but I think, yeah, the the Kai substitution was a little bit surprising and and Kai kind of had a few wild moments in the box. There were a few times where he tried to clear the ball very early on and almost, it almost led to Brentford getting a shot on goal. So um, I don't think particularly Kai's in the best form at the moment for Chelsea. I don't think he's really impacting games in the way you'd want him to. Kind of a short, sample size last night i think it's hard to sort of um gauge his attacking influence from just coming on last night when the game had turned but yeah I, I was a little bit stunned by that substitution i have to be honest at the time
0: yeah fair enough i kind of got it but obviously that substitution didn't really work out how we would have liked uh theme is and you kind of mentioned talking about the handbrake earlier he says how can two take the handbrake off this team do we need to move away from the free?"
1: At the moment, I don't think he's going to move away from the free. Um, and I have said this since he... I, I may have said this on this podcast before, but I've definitely said it on others and, and my YouTube channel that I think took all from the moment he walked in, I think has been very smart with the squad he's had. I think he realised where Chelsea's issues have been in recent years in terms of being done on transition, maybe not having the perfect DM kind of player that um, this squad is still kind of lacking. Um And kind of looking at players like Jorginho, for instance, who can't defend in large spaces and trying to get the best out of Jorginho. And, and, you know, obviously N'Golo Kante is not a holding midfielder. There's a lot more to Kante's game. So I think he he orchestrated the system to kind of limit space and get the best out of the players. He's done that very intelligently, but that has meant at times it's kind of always been on those as free attacking players at times, you know, to, and our our quality of opportunities just at the moment, as I've said before, don't look sustainable. I don't think we create a lot of opportunities. Lukaku in the early weeks of the season was outperforming, you know, from a very limited number of chances that weren't all very high quality. He was doing, he was showing how amazing a finisher he was, but quite naturally those, you know, those very fine margins, you know, have proved unsustainable um, as the weeks have progressed. I guess my sort of middle ground for Tuchel, if he wants to stick with the back three, which I think he will continue with the wing back system, is as I've said, maybe go for something where you're playing two number eights in midfield, trying to get more bodies into the box. I mean, I think that against Southampton, we were very good actually at getting numbers into the box very consistently and having a bit more energy. You know, we created our highest quality chances in that game. Um, Sorry to go back to XG, but I just, you know, it was our highest XG recorded this season. Um, And I don't think that was a a major surprise given the way we attacked the game, but also personnel. I mean, I felt Callum and doy you know, I think there's an an argument to bring him back in the way he creates chances for Chelsea. Um, Mason Mount obviously didn't start last night too. I I want to pursue with some sort of attacking system, whether that's a front two of Timo, Werner and Lukaku. The problem is at the moment, it's just so rapidly changing all the time. I just, I wonder whether that chemistry is able to form. So because it didn't work last night with Lukaku and Werner, I wonder if now Tuckle's just going to revert back to three and then may revert to two again. And then it just, there's never that time for rhythm to really build up. I think Tuchel has to maybe stick with something if we're just focusing on the front players, whether that is a three, whether that's, Cabots, Mount, Lukaku, Hudson-Odoi, Werner, Lukaku, like we saw, or you stick with the two, I think the, the chipping, um, chopping and changing constantly is just not going to help anyone. But I would say that a compromise for me at the moment, rather than just completely going to a back four, which I don't think he's going to do, is that 3-1-4-2 system where you have two number eights, you can kind of influence the attack, get forward. I even think having two eights could benefit a player like Hakim Ziyech because Ziyash played kind of a number eight role for Tuchel in the game against Fulham, if you remember, where he basically played this system. And I thought Chelsea, that was an interesting night. And I wonder if that's going to be something he pursues in the coming weeks, especially now he's integrating Lothar's cheek, who we know can play as a number eight. So my, my answer to Dean, the great Dean, is that I, I just don't I, I don't think he's going to radically change this system because it's, it's the system that's getting him clean sheets. It's a system that's got him top of the league. And it's a system that won us a Champions League. I don't think he's going to abandon that yet. I think something has to go drastically wrong for that to happen, unfortunately. So that's kind of the only compromise I have at the moment. Sorry for a rambling answer. That's kind of the only answer I have it at the moment.
0: That's from right. I think that film game you mentioned, I think it was a midfield, you say Billy at the base, and then you had, I think, Mason and Ziyech ahead of him, and then Kai and Timo up top and actually did work pretty well that yeah. day. Yeah, I think, look, I think the biggest indicator we're not moving away from back three is that the, the, he trusted Sarr yesterday. He could easily have decided we're going to move to a back four and he could have maybe put Asp right back, Chile left back and gone Trev and AC centre backs, he could easily have done that. So I mean, you know, he's I don't think he's gonna move away from a back three anytime soon. And I think, yeah, it's tough because obviously we I do get I do completely get the handbrake question. Um, but also then think we have also played some pretty good sides. Mm. I don't think we've really played like some weaker sides. And I've, you know, it's been speaking to people and they've been saying, Oh, Liverpool looks so good, Liverpool looks so good. And yeah, they do look good, but they've also not really played the top teams like we have yet. And they have also at times been a bit defensively suspect. So it's, it's, I think it's quite tough in trying to solve, you know, manage. I think this next month is hopefully the gauge where we get, we've got Malmo twice. We've got Norwich who, you know, to be fair, well, they have shored up a bit defensively in their last two games, still can't score. Uh, And then, I mean, who knows how Newcastle away will go. It is, it is a lottery, how that game will go, but you'd think, you know, hoping wise that there's some kind of games on paper, but hopefully we can see, what this team is capable of. And to be honest, while the handbrake still might have been on, we have actually scored three goals in quite a few games, you know, more so than we did under Tuchel last season. So it is, I do I do think it's just trying to find that, that right balance. And you say, look, that Spurs second half, albeit, you know, it did help we got an early goal, but that was domination that second half. And that was relentless, relentless, relentless attack, looking like we could score every single opportunity. So I do think there have been signs that it's just trying to, I guess, get the, um, get the balance right um and also could I just say
1: yeah. I mean we are top of the league I mean yeah the, these are first world problems you know these are <laughs> you know that's that's kind of the issue at the moment is that I would say that I overall I'm very happy that Chelsea haven't clicked but we're top of the league we are winning games that we wouldn't have won last year and that's kind of for me so far we're massively on track because that was the biggest challenge for Tuchel this year it's you've kind of just got to find a way and Chelsea have had a very tricky start to the season. I mean, look at the way Chelsea have managed their start to the season compared to Man United. I mean, Man United have had the easiest run of the title contenders. I don't know whether you could throw Man United into that category anymore because they've just been shambolic, but you know, Liverpool went to Brentford and conceded three goals. Um, The amount of space, I mean, Liverpool did play some good football against Watford, but the amount of space that Watford gifted them was just ridiculous. You know, Chelsea are gifted that same amount of space. If you're gifting Mount Werner Lukaku that space, I'm pretty confident despite our attacking issues at the moment, Chelsea are going to be scoring quite a few goals. You know, so you know, I do think there needs to be some perspective here. That to be fair, like Chelsea in recent seasons usually start seasons brilliantly. We look like an amazing team, and then it all dries up in winter. My hope is this year that it's going to click as we head into winter. I mean, that would be much better. So I think Tukul will obviously be frustrated. I think he'll know there's room to to progress and get better I think we all can see that but we also have had a tricky start to the season we've had to go away to Anfield we've played Spurs we played Arsenal yes we can make all the jokes we want but we've lost to Arsenal in recent seasons those are still big games for Chelsea in a year we've played Man City at home we've now played Brentford Aston Villa Southampton tricky games in recent seasons that Chelsea have stumbled in and Brentford have been brilliant so far so like you, I really hope this run of games is, is going to give Chelsea a platform to to maybe just express themselves a bit more and, and start to win games more comfortably. And hopefully, by the time we reach November, December, this next run can kind of give us that springboard and confidence that the attack is now flowing. We know what our best midfield is and, and we can go on and, and really progress.
0: Yeah, yeah. Next question comes in from Sham. It's probably early days, but what do you make of the Timo-Lukaku combo so far? I think mixed bag is probably... I guess it's fair to say, as said, I've said, going back that Spurs second half, that worked really, really well. Obviously, there's a caveat. I think we were tuning up when Timo came on. Spurs were leaving space in behind, but it worked really well. I thought against Southampton, obviously, that front three of which was included Callum worked really well. And then, obviously, last night, unfortunately, the Timo Lukaku combo didn't really link up much. But at the same time, there was still that one really good chance that Timo got, which he probably should have at least hit the target with and obviously there was that really danger, that that counter-attack from that Brentford corner that we did score from, but obviously Rom was was offside. So there were some signs, but I guess just ultimately not a huge amount, but also then that comes back to they actually need to get the ball into them, which they, I mean, I don't know how many touches Timo had, probably more than Rom, but still probably not as much as we'd like him to have either.
1: Yeah, I actually was quite impressed with Timo's performance. I think Timo did things, well, it's, it's that weird inverse, isn't it? Like Timo's just such a confusing player. Like he did things last night that, I criticize him for and doubt he can do, like being able to have the ball at his feet, be confronted by defenders and then drive past them, which may seem like a simple thing, but Werner really struggles to do that. You know, he's kind of a player that needs the ball put in front of him and he needs to run onto it. But at times dribbling, I thought he was a lot better. He got out some tight areas and that was really encouraging. But he's finishing, you know, there, there was that really one opportunity in the second half, he had an opportunity, but I think it would have been offside. Uh, the one that fell to Lukaku somehow blasted over, but obviously it was offside. So it didn't matter. I think Werner was originally offside too. And then you had the breakaway, obviously that was offside as well with Lukaku. Um, there are signs that it can work. Um, I just think it's that frustration at the moment that, yeah, we aren't really clicking. There isn't kind of a, a natural sign of how we're going to attack every time. And I'm not quite sure what the plan is every now and then to get the ball. I mean, we know that we use our wing backs and they're a massive part of the way we build up through the pitch That That's quite clearly, you know, the way Tuchel sees how he progresses the ball. Um, I just think there were time, and again, we got the ball, with, especially with lothar Cic or Kovacic or Kante, we get the ball, they drive forward and it's just, Either they wouldn't play the ball through to Lukaku or they wouldn't know what to do once they got into the area. And I think that's the issue at the moment. They aren't really helping the front two. And we saw how isolated they were against Man City. I mean, absolutely no service whatsoever. And it was really hard for them to get into the game. I also just think the positioning is quite strange. I mean, Werner was kind of, it felt like once again, Lukaku was the stationary guy in that front two. And Werner was able to move right to left. And I, I don't think that always worked because I think Werner's best work always comes off the left. You know, and I just feel that once again, sort of the way that Tuchel's orchestrating that front two, I I don't think is allowing for the the most flexibility. And I think look, uh, Werner, as much as he always works hard, was kind of running down, um, into into areas that I just don't think really helped Chelsea a number of times. So yeah, it's 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 confusing, it's frustrating at the moment, and and I just hope that in the coming games, Tuchel can solve that, whether it is maintaining that front two or, or moving away from it to kind of try and get more bodies up the pitch because that, that is an issue too
0: yeah let's say it's tough I thought the start of the season for front three especially that first three games before the first international break the Lukaku Mount Havertz combination looked looked really good obviously you know really strong against against Arsenal where Mount was just on one Havertz had a really good game Anfield that first half we were really good men. then obviously Kai gets subbed off due to very Ricard and then Kai and Mason just not been at it since that first international break and we've chopped and changed we've seen Ziyech in that front three given opportunities and he's done nothing We've seen Callum get finally get an opportunity against Southampton. Then he was, you know, fairly good for the 60 odd minutes, but then he's the first one subbed off. Yeah. It's, um, it's a tough one to work out what we need to do, but yeah, the Timo, the Timo is, is not one to, you know, give up on, but it's also one to maybe just park for, for now perhaps, but we'll just see it. I think it's, it is also opposition dependent. The next question comes in from John Cooper who asks creativity is clearly an issue. Is it time to cut ties with certain players? bring in someone who will offer the sort of playmaking that Eden Sesk or Mata did in the past. I mean, those are some quite, you know, glorious names to, to mention and look back on. Um, but I'd also argue that we perhaps have someone who could be at that level in Hakim Ziyech. It's just, just not worked out. And he's not worked out, perhaps due to the system he's played in. So, Daniel, is there like a way, you know, bring back different type players? Because you'd also think with the quality and the talent this attack has, surely like they can get firing. If they can't get firing...
1: Gas yes, firing, Who can? Yeah, I think this is the strange thing. I mean, when you look sort of at numbers, say for a player like Mason Mount, who consistently does create good opportunities for the team. I mean, as, as much as people try and make out he doesn't, he does. I mean, Rhys James too, we feel can be a, a big creator. There is kind of that central midfield problem that from, from a very deeper position, like we are, we don't have someone like sesk, you know, and even Matic, you know, remember Matic in the 16, 17 season, I think he had signed like 12 assists, like 10 or 12 assists. I mean, it was quite ridiculous looking back at those stats and it is playing the ball faster. I think that's the, that's the issue. It's it's having, it feels at times once again, and I don't know if this just comes back to the way we're playing football and the fact that it happens, it's been happening since Tuchel arrived, that you kind of think it's it's a plan that that safer pass constantly, that safer pass that gets sideways you know it just playing that safe ball rather than trying to look for a quick ball when you've got verner making runs when you've got rom making runs and and that's unfortunately the issue at the moment when sesk was in the team there was always a sense that he'd play that quick ball you know and there is obviously a high risk to playing that ball because there are times when it doesn't work but if it does work you're through on goal um I don't think we should be desperately looking in the market for another attacking player. I mean, I think that there is enough talent here to work something that I really do. You know, I look at a team like Liverpool, for instance, and the way Klopp orchestrated their central midfield. Didn't really have a Cesc Fabregas type player. Didn't really have a number 10. That midfield was kind of all set up to help facilitate moves for the front three, trying to get the ball to the front three, who are very productive. I look at players like Kalamato Lodoy, who I do think, can solve issues like this because i think callum is so underrated in terms of his passing in the final third i think his creativity stats prove that mount over a season is going to create a lot of good opportunities too we know this team can get there um once again i just wonder tactically and kind of what took wants from the team offensively is that limiting our ability to create high quality opportunities and maybe as i say in the coming games if he loosens that handbrake if he allows more midfielders to get forward that's the issue as well I mean we don't have a lot of midfield runners you know we don't have players that naturally burst into the box and I wonder if Ruben can be that player a bit more for us because you know Kovacic isn't a player that usually is going to pass the ball and then drive past the ball as well you know like Frank used to that's the issue Chelsea have I think it's also about getting further numbers forward but I know Tuckle's hesitancy to do that because Chelsea have had a problem in recent seasons of being done on the break so you know Frank tried it constantly when he was here in terms of getting numbers forward but Chelsea our balance in midfield was all off so I do think it is not a simple I don't think there's a simple solution to it I understand the logic behind why Tuckle has been a little bit more cautious um, but whether that's going to be enough for Chelsea to really, sustain this title challenge that we want to um i'm still highly doubtful um because i just don't think we can maintain it at our current level of of uh, a lack of creativity i mean the numbers just show it
0: yeah yeah and i say i do also think it kind of does link back into the opponents we've played i think i think as mentioned on sky i think by going over if tuchel hadn't seen the way that brentford had played against arsenal and played against liverpool if we'd say uh Brentford first game of the season would we have played would of way we did would we have perhaps you know tried to be a bit more as compact but yeah it's Issue well, I do think it comes down to point because to be fair, I actually think against that, you know, that Southampton first half, you had people like Ruben, you had cover. They, you did have them playing those balls quickly. Timo Werner was in left and anchor space, and he was getting the ball quite quickly. So I just think it is is tough. I do think look, I'm maybe it's just me being optimistic, but I just do think against certain sides, you're going to see us struggle a bit because we're just trying to we can't get the balance right. But then there will be against lesser sides where I do think we will just go for it, and maybe we maybe we do concede a few more goals but we'll obviously score enough to win anyway I think it would just be game for bounce we might you know instead of winning games 1-0 or 2-0 we might win in 4-1 or 5-1 something like that just to maybe get bounce right but it, but it is interesting and I'm yeah it's that if you could obviously you know someone like Fabregas you just have was just a I don't want to say a luxury player but you had him deep you had him pinging balls on, and you also had someone like Matic or or Kante next to him to also do sort of like protect him and sort of cover for him but it's yeah, it's uh, it'll be an interesting one to see what happens there. But we kind of touched on it briefly earlier about you know, the sort of crazy last 20 minutes and Prasant fast. what should two have done differently in the last 20 minutes? Because you kind of mentioned, you know, there's two approaches to go for it. We, he went kind of, you know, just bodies on just for height. And you did mention maybe uh, that might have been an opportunity for say someone like Jorginho. And you you know, when we were talking earlier, you saw mentioned about Palace under Frank. Mm-hmm. And that game, we lost control. We had no control. And then Jorginho came on there was, albeit there was a, you know, we did lose control at the end again, but there was a period for about five ten minutes where we just got the ball down, and we're just playing, and for that little period, you know, the tension sort of just delayed a little bit. Mm. But Brentford was relentless. So what could Tuchel have done differently? I guess, and obviously, I guess it is also fact to blame the fact that Kovacic was on a booking because you know, with Anthony Taylor, we probably just didn't <laughs> want to take any risks.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I mean, all of us, I think, at the time were looking at Kovacic yellow. And maybe looking at Kovacic's wayward passing um, in the game. And I think a lot of us would have said, yeah, this is probably the smart move, taking him off. You know, you don't want to get him suspended. You know, we know what Anthony Taylor's like, even though for some weird reason, maybe the start of a face turn for Anthony Taylor for <laughs> Chelsea last night. I mean, if there's one thing that unites everyone in this country, um, I think it is Anthony Taylor. You know, the way he. It, it was just a typical Anthony Taylor performance but actually not against Chelsea you know it was against Brentford there were a few times where I was like a few decisions the the ch- ch- just this is a side note the Trevor Chalabar penalty claim against Ivan Tony that was ruled out for offside uh, people have taken screenshots and I have to say it does not look offside on second viewing but I mean maybe things do even themselves out in the end I'm not quite sure if they do but luckily Taylor didn't uh, cause us issues last night. That makes the win even more impressive, actually. Jorginho is the is the only answer I have. I just I think that Jorginho, we saw it against uh, Aston Villa at halftime when when Saundigas was really struggling and we were really lacking midfield balance and we were just getting hit so often. You know, Villa were just playing through us with ease. Um and then Jorginho comes on, he goes into that deeper position, he picks up the ball. I think he casts people down. We know in the Premier League, it's a little bit different. You know, I, I think that Liam Toomey wrote about this funny enough at the time for the Athletic, about that Palace game. And he spoke about Jorginho and, and the impact he had during that game. But then how quickly the tide turned again. And it's the intensity of, of Premier League football, isn't it? That maybe in European football, maybe in Syria, A, oh, you bring a player, like Jorginho and the game's dead. I mean, the amount of games you'd watch maybe um, in Italy or, or Spain where a game would be done and it just is done. There's just no coming back whilst in the Premier League you up against sides that especially with throw-ins who know Brentford know how to orchestrate situations to be able to get set pieces they, they have so many set pieces I've, someone told me the other day it's like ridiculous number of set piece sort of um, patterns they've worked on in training I mean this is a team that knows how to get the most out of them and, and they're very smart tactically to be able to get into situations to win those set pieces over and over again and with that hostile crowd, with how close they are to the ground, um, to sort of the pitch, sorry, even if Jorginho came on, that could have actually done the opposite. You know, Jorginho not the most physical player. So if Jorginho hadn't gotten the ball, is he going to be that big of a presence in the middle of the box? You know, that's kind of a, a concern as well. So I don't think, I, I always hesitate to question like a manager of Tuchel's quality and say, it's just so easy. Why didn't you bring on but I think it's undeniable that we lost control of that game. We did. I, I, I can't, as good as Brentford were, I think there was a solution. And my instinctive response is to say, maybe bring on that central midfielder to, to calm people down. Also an experienced player who directs the rest of the team and can kind of say to some of those centre-backs, stop hoofing, hoofing the ball up aimlessly when you don't need to look for the pass into my feet or look for the pass into into one of the wing backs try and build up play because we've got to stifle this crowd and we just weren't able to do that
0: yeah yeah no it's a tough one it's, it's just easy to like say in hindsight because at the time again as i said at the time i kind of didn't really have an issue with any of the subs but what made it obviously just didn't quite work out how we would have liked a uh, final question comes in from tom coley how early will we win the league? Ha ha. Um, he goes, But Tuchel's manager's squad, even better than we think. With Saar, Barkley, Chilwell, Werner, RLC, all becoming important. What do you think is his single best, most important quality characteristic as a manager? Because I know, I think we kind of touched on it earlier as well, but you do feel previous regimes, some of these players just wouldn't have had a look, in, even if they were in the squad. But we've seen, you know, Barkley, he got some minutes in the Carabao Cup, and against Hampton, he, Tuchel was the one, against Juve and against Hampton, Tuchel was the one he turned to against Hampton when he had Ziyech and Havertz on the bench and he turned to Barkley. Yes, they, you know, they say could easy maybe change formation. Could He, he could easily maybe said, right, we'll put Trev left centre-back, we'll put AC in the middle, we'll have Aspi right centre-back, we'll play, if Reece wasn't fit to start, we'll play Callum right wing-back. But he said, no, we'll start with Saar. So how, I guess, what do you, what impresses you most? What do you think is his best quality characteristic as a manager?
1: I mean, I guess you would instantly say tactics you know the tactical mind he has I think the ability to look at the squad understand what it needs to succeed game to game personnel wise when to take a player in when to take a player out I think politically I think he's been an incredible Chelsea manager um I that's kind of the most that that's the one that jumps out to me and maybe is is not the one that's actually the most relevant to what goes on on the pitch but I, I do think the PR game, the the politics of the club, I think managing a big squad, I think he knows how to do it. Yeah, I mean, the way this season, if we just isolate it down to this season, the amount of players who have come in from the cold, that, yeah, you just wouldn't have seen. I mean, and it was a problem that hurt Frank's regime, as we know, you know, we know this in terms of the way it went wrong in terms of players like Rudiger, players like Christensen, players like Jorginho being really left out and kind of the reports from the likes of the Athletics saying that, you know, Frank with the players he he trusted, he was very intent of of getting them involved. But if you weren't involved in the first team, maybe, you know, some of Frank's lack of experience as a coach, not speaking to those fringe players. And you do feel like, as I said earlier in the podcast about say, say, Malangsa and when these players come in for the majority of the time they're performing well, I think it maybe speaks to the environment that Tuchel is creating that he he is able to get performances out of players that know that they probably aren't going to play every single week but the fact that they do come in and do perform well I think that it's just it's a it's a combination of things for me Tuchel as a manager I'd say his greatest strength obviously I think is his tactical mind I think he he's one of the smartest managers currently or smartest coaches working in in modern football I think the way he he understands space and understands system and I think understands defensively how a team is able to limit space for an opponent and then in possession is able to sort of make the pitch as big as possible and the way he's managed his squad and the way he's looked at the characteristics of this squad which I don't think have always been perfect and been able to work out a system that most of the time nearly all of the time so far as Chelsea head coach has got the right result I think is, is the most impressive um, and and I think he is he is the thing that you know gives us confidence that we can win the league you know having him, difficult moments throughout the season and, and being able to manage it over the course of nine months, I think is, is what gives me hope that Chelsea can break out of this sort of consistent sort of slump for, for sort of top four. And I think, I think that's what gives us as much chances as Liverpool and Man City in this title race.
0: Yeah. Nah, that's all really, really well said. Yeah. Best say Although obviously I think he's tactically brilliant. He's one, he is one of the best managers in Europe. You know, I actually say, I think you should mention the like, PR wise like he came into the job and he's known from day one he's got to get results he's not you know tried to make excuses I don't know how like he obviously got wrong in the, in the summer which I am I presume like he was obviously happy with but obviously we then the only other signing was Saul you know how big he was on that I don't know but he said he will work but he's constantly said he will work with what he's been given he's not thrown a strop I guess obviously when he worked under PSG and all the, the stresses and that the Chelsea job it is really like tame in comparison he just seems like just really relaxed he just seems calm and it does almost feel like because obviously before he came you know we'd heard stories of him falling out. it kind of feels like we've got the best version of thomas tuchel but i just like someone who know who is comfortable in himself knows what he wants what how he can get there and he's just said right i'm just gonna work with what i've got and i will work out how we get the best out of this squad Players we've got because I'm sure if you know if there were a different person, different rest we would be able you know we would be definitely be able to play a different way. But he's just thinking this is the best way to get results with this players with this team. So I think yeah, that's kind of sums up. I know it's not one perhaps single best quality, but it's just sums him up as a person. Obviously, his tactical brilliance. So I think the way he is as a person as well. Just like his press conferences, albeit I don't watch him as much now due to some of the questions that get asked. But if you see some of his stuff on the fifth stand. He is always, like, you know, quite an engaging person, the way he talks about football. Just, yeah, I think, you know, I think Chelsea, we are very, very lucky to get Thomas Tuchel. And as much as sacking Frank Hurt, I don't think, you know, we could have got any luckier and hit the jackpot any better than getting Thomas Tuchel in charge. And just fingers crossed, fingers crossed, this one, uh, this one can last a well, while because I do think we can uh, build something pretty pretty special with Tuchel. And despite the fact that, you know, fans missed, have missed quite a lot of his reign, yeah, as in fans being the grounds missile of his own. There is already a strong bond between him and the fans. So yeah, I think it's just, it is just really, really exciting uh for the future. But that wraps up this week's episode of that Chelsea pod. I want to thank Daniel once again for coming on. So Daniel, before you go, tell people where they can follow you on Twitter, where they can find you work obviously if you've got any interesting articles coming out today or in the weeks.
1: Yeah, thank you, mate, for having me. On always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, people can find me obviously at tw- on Twitter at Son of Chelsea, uh, which is pretty much where all of my work gets posted and my thoughts on Chelsea. Um, there's also a link on my Twitter profile to all of my football London articles um, from the time I've been working there so far. Um, there is a piece that has come out today where I've sort of. It, in a joking way sort of responded to paul Scholes' claim that chelsea don't have a, a good defense like man man united which of course is very funny after last night and and just basically how the numbers just don't back up his claim unfortunately um i will be likely writing a piece on on office sheet that will be out on monday so look up for that and um yeah i'm, I'm going to be recording a review for my youtube channel as well and getting back to making videos on my youtube channel at son of chelsea too. So yeah, there's all that good stuff. I think me and Jay will hopefully be recording a podcast as well for or every other Sunday. I'm consistently writing for the CFC fanzine as well, CFC UK. The latest one is out now. So there's a piece in there for me too. So I think that's pretty much everything I do. I mean, sometimes I lose track because it's just like, especially since this job has been quite intense. Um, but it's, it's an amazing opportunity. And it's great, as you know, uh, to come on this podcast and, and speak with people about Chelsea because it is, it is just a, a pleasure at the moment.
0: Yeah, no, it really, really is. And all Daniel's links will be in the description below. Uh, as for us, you can follow us on Instagram, at that Chelsea pod, on Twitter, at that Chelsea pod. Uh, if you are on Twitter and when we tweet the episodes out, likes, retweets really do go a long way just getting it on, out onto every single person's timeline as possible. Hopefully, we can just keep keep on uh, growing. If you listen, uh, we're available on all your usual podcast platforms. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, a rating in a review doesn't go and miss. Again, just helps us. Get us out there. But uh, yeah, until the next episode, everybody, keep Blue Flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family,
1: cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now,
0: you want to get mixed up in
1: the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com.